Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles, 24-8. I'm Allison. And I'm Erica. And before we start, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying BC the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. And also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. And if you ever want to talk about the Beatles, anything about the Beatles, you can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Yes, absolutely. And we just got back from a fabulous weekend at Beatles at the Ridge in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. So for anybody who's joining us, who's new to us from Beatles at the Ridge, welcome. We will be posting that episode fairly soon, the live episode that we made there. But first, we have to talk about Abbey Road. Can we please? We're recording this on the actual birthday, September 26th, the 50th birthday of Abbey Road, the album. Happy birthday, Abbey Happy Road. Happy birthday. Yay, we're so glad you were born. I think the Beatles have a song to sing for you. They knew you were coming all this time. I know, right? And, you know, of course, you're hearing this um, the day that the new remixes are released from Universal and uh, Apple, and uh, they're pretty effing great, and we're going to talk about them. So we're going to go track by track on the main album, and then we're going to go into some of our favorite things from the other two discs that are there of previously officially unreleased tracks from the recording sessions and some demos and things like that. Yes, totally. And both of us love these remixes. We've loved the stuff that Giles Martin has done before with, I mean, I remember hearing the love soundtrack when that came out and been like, whoa, I can't even. Yeah, that was incredible. And just a little background, Giles Martin is George Martin, the famous George Martin's son, who was also an audio engineer. And the love soundtrack was the first time that Giles and his father collaborated on one of these big Beatles releases, which came out, I think, in 2006. And at that time, George Martin very sadly lost his hearing almost entirely by the yeah. end of his life. So Giles was actually serving as George's ears, which is pretty amazing. Just the trust he had in his son to be able to work with him like that on a project as huge as the Love soundtrack. And George Martin Unfortunately, he passed away in 2016, and Giles has been taking on the reins. He's taken on the mantle of primary custodian of the Beatles sound, and this is the third late-stage Beatles album that he has remastered, one every year since Sgt. Pepper two years ago, the White Album last year, and now Abbey Road. It's incredible to me that he and George got to work together on the Love soundtrack before George sort of stepped down, passed away. Because, you know, this is really a hallmark of George on these albums. And I think that George is very into, like, Giles' perspective on these. And also, Giles, um, I met him and heard him speak last year at Capitol Records for, for the White Album remixes. And he is very adamant, you know, my bosses are Paul and Ringo. And if they don't like it, then it doesn't go on the record. And, you know, we all know that, well... Paul, you know, is a big lover of new technologies, and he's always been very forward-thinking. So I would imagine that he, you know, his vote on these is very important. And so that's one really important thing to remember about the remixes. It's like it's not just Giles sort of messing with them and and putting things in different spots or whatever. It's actually like the Beatles signing off on it too. Paul and Ringo definitely have some. Uh, some say in this, and I, I think we'll we'll touch on that as we go track by track. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but altogether, they made a, a really 
overall, our verdict is this is amazing. Yeah, it's really good. It's much different. I mean, I remember hearing Sgt. Pepper, and I think we both felt like that was, like, mind-blowing. Oh, my God. For me, it was like hearing the album for the first time again, and it was like, I'll never forget listening to that the first time. And, and the White Album certainly felt like that, too. And this is more of that feeling. It's hearing things that you have never heard before in these recordings you've heard all your life. And I actually went back after listening to some of these songs and went back to the original masters. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was always there. I just never noticed it. I'm not going to speak much on what they did because I know so little about sound engineering. But from what I've heard from Giles Martin speaking, that they took the original tracks, they harvested. There's not one thing in here that wasn't in the original. And he wanted to make it sound as contemporary as possible with those original master tapes and not putting anything else in there. So it's not like he added, it's not like George Lucas tinkering around with Star Wars and putting out the movies again. It's very different than that. Yes, which is good. So I talked a bit on our podcast with Ivor Davis about going to Capitol here in LA and hearing a preview of these remixes a few, uh, probably a month ago now. Um, And Guy Hayden, who with Jonathan Clyde works on the Apple side of the production and the producing and all of that for these remixes and releases, he said something very interesting um, in the Q&A after the listening. He said that one of the reasons that they are so gung-ho on these remixes is because they want, when younger listeners are listening on Spotify, they want them to have a really fresh experience. They want these recordings to quote-unquote sound younger. And it's very interesting that he said that. And really, we need to do a whole other podcast because it's so loaded about making the Beatles, quote unquote, sound younger. But I think if we're talking in terms of competing with technology of top 40 radio now, uh, maybe it is essential. I don't know. But these definitely sound much closer to something like that. Anybody who's bought a Beatle album in the last 50 years knows that they have gone through a very long and sordid history of different types of remixes, remasters, putting Mm, on their cassette, putting them on CD, back to vinyl, digital downloads, whatever. And there have been different levels of quality in all of those those remixes and remasters. I mean, personally, if we're looking at the 2009 remixes that have been pretty much the standard for all of the albums up until these three Giles Martin remixes, I always like the mono better than the stereo because the 100%. stereo was really forced. And especially if you're not listening to it in a space where you actually have an equal headphone on either side, you know, like in oh a car or something, yeah. they sound like crap because yeah. like they're no, things I in the wrong place. Agree, dude. Yeah. hundred percent. I, well, I'm pretty much like a mono girl across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I actually went back to, and listened, um, I think yesterday to some of the 2009 remixes and I was just like, Oh, like it just made it, it made me have a bad taste in my mouth, especially if you're listening to like these remixes for a few days. It's yeah. It, it's heads above anything that happened in 2009. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so, you know, if you're on the fence about buying these and I hear you because I'm like, I can listen to them wherever, they're actually worth at least a listen, if not a buy. I think they're probably on Spotify, but don't think they're the same Abbey Road as the one that you probably have at home. Yeah, 100%. And with that, let's talk a little bit about what has come out. So I'm sitting here right now with the four disc Super Deluxe Edition, four CDs. One is a Blu-ray 5.1 surround sound Dolby Atmos mix. And so what that is, and it probably sounds very foreign. It sounded foreign to me the first time I heard it, but that's the newest sort of sound enhancement in the vein of like surround sound and that kind of thing. So when I was at Capitol, they played us some tracks in Dolby Atmos and 
there were, I think, nine speakers above us in the room. And then there were a total of 22 speakers throughout the room. The rest were embedded in the walls. And so it was like a full surround sound experience where you're actually in the music. Oh, my God. I know. And I guess as those systems sort of become more commonplace and hopefully cheaper, God, that then, you know, we'll have this mix. And that's really exciting to me. So there's a full disc of that. That's the album in Atmos. But the other three discs, one, of course, is the remix Debbie Road. And the other two are demos and outtakes. And then between all the discs, you have a beautiful... 100-page book written by Kevin Hallett, who's done notes for the Beatles albums going back, you know, at least started Pepper, not before. And there's an essay by Dave Hepworth, Giles Martin, and Paul McCartney have forewords in here. Um, there's tons of pictures. Most of them are by Linda, which is lovely. Oh. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of handwritten lyrics and something I love, tape boxes. I love a good photo of a goddamn tape box. And yeah, I mean, there's just so much great stuff in here. It's so detailed. There's personnel notes. It's absolutely lovely. And then uh, you have the 3LP version, right, Erica? Yes, the 3LP version comes with everything except the Atmos mix and the book. You still get the forwards from Paul and from George Martin. You get a pretty substantial story about the journey to this. And then you get a background of everything on the two sessions disc. So everything that's not the main album. So there's still some stuff to look at in this. It's still pretty substantial. The vinyls are lovely, heavy, you know, they play beautifully. So, you know, if you don't have an Atmos, it's probably it's probably a good choice too. And then I think there are also two CD versions. There's a single LP and a single CD, and then there's a picture disc. So there's really something for everybody, no matter what level you're on or what price point you're looking at. Like, definitely pick up something. God, I love a good picture disc. I know, right? I got the Sgt. Pepper one, and I just, yeah, it makes me feel so, like, retro in an 80s way. Like... <laughs> It's, it's so interesting. I have this light pink one. It goes so well in my living room. Ooh. So, yeah. Decorations. Picture discs as decor. Seriously. There we go. They're amazing. It's a functional piece of decor. <laughs> All right. So enough anyway. of that. Let's get onto the meat of this issue. Let's talk about this album. Starting yes. with track one, Come Together. Good God. You do not expect it. You know what you're going to get, but when it actually comes on... The way that the, the drum fills in the end, the way you can hear John go, shh, and it just works so well with every beat. Like you just stand up to attention. Yeah. And something I love in these remixes, and I put this note on a couple of them, but this one, Come Together, definitely falls under this heading. Giles does a really great job. And, you know, shout out too, to Sam O'Kell, who also works so diligently on these mixes with Giles. They create this really amazing sense of space where even if you aren't listening to like the Atmos mix or surround sound, if you're just listening in your headphones, you feel the room and John's voice is, you could almost pinpoint the spatialness of it. If that makes sense, it sort of feels like you're in the studio in the way that the tracks are set up. It's like you're sitting in the middle of a jam session, but you're placed yeah. perfectly around in the middle of the jam so that you are hearing everything that's meant to be heard at the time it's meant to be heard. So, yeah. you know, like the guitar player is like walking towards you and you hear him better and then he steps back and something else shows up. So you really have this almost interactive experience. And that's in this song and it's in pretty much every song that, that they redid. It puts you in the moment in such an interesting way because you feel like you're there, but you also can really feel and understand and appreciate the tech behind it. 
Yeah. And it's appropriate, too, because the Beatles were always big proponents of recording live, meaning they never really sang to tracks like a lot of other artists. That comes into play more in the outtakes and demos that we'll talk about later. But it's so seamless that you kind of forget that. You forget that they're all there together playing what you're hearing. This sounds like you could hear this on a stage in a bar. Oh, yeah, totally. Which I love. You really get that feeling. And, and a couple other songs like uh, Oh, Darling Sticks Out is one of those, too. You can really feel like you're, you're there and that's the place they wanted to set and that's what happened. Moving on to something. This brings up another amazing perk of these remixes is that Billy Preston, dude, steps out on these remixes the keyboard and the organ and you know whenever he's on a track it is right in your face and it sounds sublime it sounds just exquisite oh yeah i mean if you can forget i think that the four beatles were not the only primary players in this album right but when you hear it you can tell because it doesn't sound like the way paul plays or the way john plays or anything it sounds so different and it's so fresh and they really put it in a place in the song where it doesn't overpower it but it makes it's really there its presence is noted and you're like ooh, wow yeah and on something i mean the organ um during the bridge that like just caught me off guard that's where my attention went right away was the organ part and it almost made me laugh because i was like god that's been there the whole time and now i'm hearing it like I've never heard before. He does that also with um, especially the drums and the bass. And that's what I was getting at before about Paul and Ringo being his <laughs> bosses, is that the drums and the bass consistently throughout this album and the last two that Giles has done sound amazing. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I wrote um, under Come Together bass slaps, but God, the whole fucking album bass slaps. The bass is right in your face the whole time, except on Here Comes the Sun. And that one we'll talk about in a little bit. But that's the only one where it's like, I don't feel like the bass is going to like hit me in the face. Yeah. But I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it. No, same with the drums. Like something, even the little feel that starts something that has always been there, but you don't get a feel for just how much that actually sets the tone for the song until you hear it in this version. All right, next up on the list is Maxwell Silver Hammer. Mine and... Paul McCartney is one of our favorite songs, one of John's least favorite songs. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one where I've been like talking to people who are listening to the album. They're like, oh, I don't even know if I, I think I may have skipped that one. I'm like, excuse me. No, no, no. How no. very, how very dare you? No. Um, it's funny because I was listening to this on the vinyl version um, at my turntable at home and it almost sounded like a different take. So I'm curious if you had that experience because it might just be my turntable being an idiot but it sounded almost like in a different key than what I'd heard before. I didn't feel that it was a different take, but I felt that they did enough bringing out the background to make it have a different mood, if that makes sense. That might be it then. I mean, par partially it's probably my turntable, but that might be also the other maybe, part. Maybe. Try it on a different turntable and see. But like the backing vocals were really prominent and the sound effects the sirens and the hammer it almost had more of that comical feel the way like the bridge of yellow submarine does mm, yeah whereas in the past it was more kind of background accents here it more feels like like we're part of the joke and i felt like that was that was really evident in what's always been my most favorite part of this song where paul kind of snickers when he's saying like writing 50 times um, in the middle verse, and he yeah. he, he laughs, and they, they push it out just enough more 
to make it really obvious. And between that and and all the hammers and the sirens and the the kind of silly background harmonies, it really felt like they got the mood of the song, which maybe, I mean, if you think about the fact that this song had more takes than almost anything, except maybe another silly Paul song, Oh Blah Dee, Oh Blah Da. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is about the, these. Paul and his granny music, he like takes a long time with it, which I appreciate a lot. But the other Beatles yeah. didn't. So I can almost see that the full scope of the joke didn't quite make it the first time around. Yeah, yeah. I also love this go round that Paul's been telling the story about Maxwell Silverhammer. And I never sort of framed it in the way he tells it. But his thing is, you know, it's a narrative, of course, about different characters. But the overarching theme, it's like, when you think life's going okay, you know, then bang, bang, you know, <laughs> some shit happens. And I'm like, oh, my God, I never thought about that. <laughs> Yeah, so now when I hear Mr. Mal Evans, you know, who was the Beatles' roadie and assistant and best friend and just a great guy playing the hammer, uh, hammer part, um, <laughs> then it's sort of like, oh, God, like, <laughs> it creates a whole different sensation. And also, one thing that I noticed was sort of lurking underneath the whole time is this theremin sort of sound. I'm not sure if it's a theremin. But it sort of gives it a little bit of a, like a Venus and Mars vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. I noticed that in a lot of places, like things that sound like theremins or mellotrons or even xylophones, like little tinkly things kind of that I've never heard before right. in Abbey Road. Those little effects that kind of set it off and make it sparkle in a different way. Yeah, definitely a highlight track for me. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really loved Oh Darling, too, which is next. I thought the oohs and ahs starting in the second verse were absolutely fantastic. They sounded so beautiful, like pretty almost in the way that you can hear the intricate harmonies in them. And I know that's so nitpicky, but it really is. They come on in the right ear and it just is like, it makes you like feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Just side note, I had to research this time around if Linda was singing in the background because in this mix, I never heard it before. It sounded like she was there. She's not, but I'm. I wonder if that's mm -hmm. what made him interested in having her sing backup. I wonder if he felt like it was kind of the same vocal quality in a way, because it sounds so much like her there. I'll have to listen to that again and and look for that Linda vibe. Yeah, I wish there was actually Linda. I can't find any evidence that there was. I think she was just in. Uh, what was she in Across the Universe or Hey Jude or something? She's yeah, in something. yeah. Yeah, the big probably the big chorus of uh, a Hey Jude. Yeah. But also this one is another one that really sets the place. In this mix, Paul's voice is pulled back just a little in comparison to the other instruments, which are more out front. It isn't that way in a lot of the other tracks. The vocals are very forward most of the time. So to me, that kind of gave me the feel of what the acoustics might be in like a live blues club. Mm, yeah, definitely. Which is totally what Paul was trying to achieve by, you know, singing it on his back and going in every day and trying to get exactly the right tone. And that kind of speaks to, you know, we're not, again, going to go into this crazy amount, but where the Beatles were, you know, this is another album, you know, in this succession starting with Sgt. Pepper, where Paul is out front. Paul is has the reins. You'll hear Paul on some of the outtakes, like giving direction to the other Beatles. But yeah, so that makes sense that Paul is like just so dedicated to getting that right vibe on Oh Darling. And I know it annoyed some of the other Beatles and it probably annoyed everybody else around him. But oh, my God, absolutely. I think it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well you're a Paulologist, so oh oh you better uh, believe uh, i am just wait for the next rant in our next full episode oh my god cannot wait 
anyway, Octopus's Garden for my favorite Beetle Ringo. Um, I wrote <laughs> the best thing I will probably ever write in a review, and I've written a good amount of reviews in my career. Um, I wrote Bubble Slap, which is <laughs> the best thing ever. But goddamn, if I don't love those bubbles on this track, they sound amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. And what's that effect they have? The oohs and ahs during the break, they sound like they're underwater. Yeah, it was like that in the original, but it really like sounds like it was recorded in a fish tank on this. Also, some of the instrumentation is really noticeable here, like um, how intricate George's guitar part is. It was really brought yeah. out. And also you can hear Paul's, like his saloon piano that he uses in Lady Madonna and Rocky Raccoon. That you sound that. is in the back. And I love mm. that sound. And it makes it feel even more fun. Again, I think like with Maxwell's Silver Hammer, this mix gets the joke. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's more lighthearted, which is great because, you know, these lighthearted tracks sort of break it up, especially they sort of even outside too, which we're going to get to after one more track. I want you, She's So Heavy rounds out side one of Abbey Road. Speaking of heavy. Yeah, speaking of heavy. This has always been one of my favorites because oh, it's just so good. And the Hammond sounds amazing again. Billy Preston, shout out. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote sounds scathing because it's like red hot in this. It's aggressive almost. And yeah. Yeah, it makes it sound great. Um, the harmonies are clear as a bell on this. I forgot how hypnotizing the end is. And I found myself two times as listening to this. I was listening to it once on vinyl. And then I was listening to it yesterday on the CD version. And I just sort of like, it hypnotized me so much that when it ended suddenly, I was like, what? <laughs> What happened? Where totally, totally same. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty jarring. <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some stuff, especially in the low parts of the guitar part. And I guess there's a bass in there, too, which is really it just kind of mesmerizes you. So now let's flip over the record. And uh, we have the beautiful, I guess, first official single. We had some teasers when they were readying this release. But the first official single, Here Comes the Sun. God, this was good. Oh, man. I've always liked this song, but this mix makes it now one of my favorite Beatles songs. I never thought about it before that. Like I was saying before, this is the one where the one where the bass is not super aggressive and is not in your face. It sits really evenly. The whole mix feels very soft. It's almost like a pillow if I'm going to visualize it. It's like yeah. the mix is a pillow on which the song sits. The flute, I think, sounds great. There's another keyboard effect in it that gives it a real ethereal feel. That's sort of the flute sound. Um, it's just, yeah, it's amazing. And one thing that when I heard it Capitol was, and it's so subtle, but it, that's the thing with these Beatles mixes. It's like, that's the stuff you notice the most. It's like the very subtle stuff that you are so conditioned to know like, oh, that goes there, that goes there. And you hear it in a different way. For me on this song it was the hand claps. So when they come in, they sort of fade in on this mix. Oh, yeah. And I, always thought they just sort of like appeared on the previous mixes so I listened yesterday to the 2009 remaster and they do and so that's something new where they sort of like kind of take their place they sort of fade in which mm -hmm. is cool another way that Giles kind of took took what was there and invited us to hear it when it was time to hear it instead yeah. of just kind of mushing it into a stereo mix and another side note I have about this this mix and the stereo to me when you're listening to it in headphones it feels really complex in that it's not just right ear left ear it's almost like back right ear and front right ear oh yeah yeah that's true it goes around your head even when you only have two headphones on. i don't know how they did that or maybe i'm just hearing it 
Uh, I'm just thinking I'm hearing it, but I heard it a couple of times and this song was one of them where the harmony came in and it came in really strong in the right ear, but sort of in the back of the right ear. Yeah. Almost like where you would be if you were singing harmony, somebody might be behind you. And I've had that too with some of the, the releases I've worked on in the past year where the stereo mix is so intricate that I felt like somebody was talking right behind me and it was, turned out to be something I was listening to. I think that's a real virtue of the technology available now where you just don't have like a plain stereo mix where it's like right ear, left ear. You are able to sort of really pinpoint exactly where you want that sound to be, which is just, it blows my mind. It really does. That being said, I can't even imagine what this sounds like if you're in a room set up for Atmos. It sounded great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it did. It was beautiful. And they also played us, uh, which is included in uh, the outtakes and demos the uh, instrumental version of something I believe and it was the same I mean it's it it makes you cry it really it just was so emotional to hear it like that you know another thing I noticed when listening to it digital you know you're not getting up to switch the vinyl so it just keeps going Uh, Mm. and I'm sure they know a lot of people are doing that the juxtaposition of that hard hypnotic sound of I want you transitioning into this bright gentle song is absolutely stunning oh yeah, it's kind of like taking you out of a bad trip or like a crazy trip. It's amazing. And I never I never thought of it before that. I mean, I don't really listen to albums in order that often. I doubt the Beatles intended this because they didn't have that kind of technology then to have something so long playing. But right. it really feels like somebody noticed and they adjusted it in a way that makes a really strong effect. Yeah. And also, just on the subject of this song, today on the 26th, the Beatles just released a new video to accompany this song. And it's gorgeous. It combines pictures of the Beatles in their studio, video of the Mad Day Out session, intertwined with this beautiful animation. Mm, It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great. And there are fan photos included in there. We've got a couple of friends who have their pictures uh, in the beginning of the in the video, there's like a fan collage. And I think our friend Christine has her photo in there. Oh, um, God. You, Shout out Christine. You, I know, right? If you have your photo in there, let us know. And uh, we'll retweet it or post it. I mean, that's, that's super cool. I think that's one of those ways where if we're going back to talking about the Beatles appealing to a younger audience or having a younger ethos, this is one of the ways I think they did it. Because yes. this video could have been produced by any any artist today. 100%. Absolutely. So let's continue on and, you know, we'll kind of jump around the second side because I was saying yesterday to somebody, one does not simply listen to part of side two of Abbey Road. You know, that, <laughs> That's true. That like Sean Beam meme mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because I mean, you can't really, all this stuff sort of runs together for me, starting with because, which to go back to the Capitol day in Atmos, unsurprisingly, this thing blew my freaking mind hearing it in Atmos. Because it is like being in like a, a colorful tornado. <laughs> just, just the harmonies. It's amazing. And um, I really like the French horn on the bridge and the outro. Just so lovely. More trippy keyboard sounds. It's everything you'd want it to be. Everything you want a new remix of Because to be. Mm-hmm. They did something which I liked, which they balanced the voices and the instrumental a little bit better. The vocals are so rich and they're so incredible. I mean, they took them out as an isolated vocal for the love soundtrack. And yeah. you, know, you can hear oh, them that yeah. way too. I still think about that all the time. 
yeah that track but this time they changed it around so it's a different experience in that those vocals are intertwined in a more flowing way with the instrumentals so it's just this it's this huge sound collage rather than a sound collage of voices with something that balances out and keeps the monkey yeah one thing i had to note our friend ken womack who's written two books on george martin maybe more at least two he writes a new book every uh, three weeks. I think that's his uh, process, really. <laughs> As he should, because he's a he's a professor and he's a genius. And he he's was great. quoted today in a New York Post article about this album. And he told an interesting story that... George Martin played the keyboard, and as Ken says, and though Martin was an exquisite keyboard player, he had terrible rhythm. So Rinko tapped out the downbeat for him so George Martin could stay in beat on that song. That's so weird. Like, you would never think George had to have terrible rhythm. No! <laughs> That's so funny. Now I'm going to think about that. I know, oh, right? I'm going to hear this. Yes. And let's see, You Never Give Me Your Money, uh, another amazing sort of lighter turn on this album. But I have, I've always loved this song. Yeah, I mean, this is great. I think the passionate vocal from Paul really comes through. The song in itself is like six different songs. I mean, it's its own little mini long medley. And oh, totally. Giles did this great thing where he really made them like six separate songs. Paul's vocal quality is different. The way that they bring out different instruments is different. When Paul sings, oh, that magic feeling, there's these bells that oh, are the already bells. there. They're always there. But the way they brought him out, yeah. it was incredible. It's so great. Yeah. And of course, it leads into Sun King, which is so rich and so lovely. And I wrote down that, holy shit, the organ solo after the everybody's happy at like 135. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, God, that's so good. Like, can I have that as my ringtone? Can I just hear it all the time? <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. And then transitions pretty seamlessly into Mean Mr. Mustard, as it does, which also heavier bass and guitar sound. I thought it enhanced the kind of meanness and kind mm. of plottingness of these characters in this little vignette. It, it really helped make it more of a like a narrative the way Paul usually does. Yeah. And I have to admit something. This is so basic level Beatles fan, but I just realized it when I was listening to this yesterday that uh, me and Mr. Mustard, John alludes to his sister Pam works in the shop. And I just connected the dots yesterday. That that's Paul, me and Pam. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> that's connected the goddamn dots. Oh, Lord. Like, oh, okay. See what this mix can do for you. Yes, exactly. See, uh, that that happened. Love it, so, love it, love I, it. I admitted it. Anyway, but Paul theme <laughs> Pam sounds great too. Um, his sister Pam song. Yes. Great. Yeah, the harmonies are brought out a little bit more than backing, but they're not obnoxious. They still blend really nicely into the mix. And of course, the bass line, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Epic shit. Pretty much same thing with Came In Through the Bathroom Window, All Into Golden Slumbers. This part is really seamless. I think they did a good job at weaving these songs together so they sound like a cohesive medley. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, this is one of the ones that Paul's been talking about a lot in conjunction with this release about the origin of Golden Slumbers. It's based on a poem called Cradle Song by Thomas Decker. It comes from Decker's uh, 1603, and yes, that is the year, 1603, <laughs> comedy uh, patient Griselle. And Paul saw the sheet music for Cradle Song at his dad's house in Liverpool. And uh, he couldn't read music, of course, so he created his own music to the lyrics, which are similar to Golden, the opening of Golden Slumbers, but not exactly. He uh, uses the first stanza of the original poem and changes a couple of words, but it 
he never credited Decker, but I guess now Decker's getting his due. I thought this was interesting in light of the Colbert uh, interview that he did uh, that aired last week, which we'll talk about it another time. But Colbert asked him like about his process and about his genius. And basically he said he felt like his family was so musical that he sort of absorbed all of this stuff unconsciously, subconsciously. And then when the time came, he had this stuff at the ready. And this seems like a perfect example of that, you know, a 1603 song that happened to be laying around his dad's house. And eventually it makes it into the the long medley in Abbey Road. Yeah. And I think that, you know, another story that he told on Colbert was the story that we all know about yesterday and scrambled eggs. But, you know, something that I've always thought about was when he woke up and he had the tune and he's like, I'm sure I've heard it before. He thought it was like a Sinatra song or something. But that's another example of him sort of observing stuff. And, and maybe he had heard his dad sort of make it up or whatever, but then pulled it out at the right moment. Secret to his genius, I think, revealed. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so yeah, Golden Slumbers, John's not on the track. He and Yoko were in a car accident, I think, in Scotland. So he was kind of preoccupied with that. Poor John Yoko. I know. But this one does feel largely unchanged. But there is more orchestration, I think, that you can notice. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing at this note that Erica <laughs> The thing that I've noticed is the thing that I've always noticed about this song, which is hilarious to me. And I think they got the joke here, too, where he's singing this great lullaby and then the chorus swells up and he starts screaming golden slumbers like, OK, you trying to put me to sleep with this freaking belting. There's a, an amazing meme and I'm going to try to remember to post it on our socials, but it is exactly like that. It's like Paul, like rocking a cradle of the baby. It's like, I always sing you a lullaby. And then the next panel is like him with like a megaphone shouting at the baby, like, oh, it's, failure. I, it's so funny. I'm, I'm going to try to remember to post that. I'm going to make a note. Nice way to put someone to sleep, Paul. It's even more it apparent now. <laughs> right. So good. So good. So then we have Carry That Weight, which I think there's a story in the book I was reading where this was supposed to be kind of a narrative, like Maxwell Silverhammer, but Paul only got so far as the chorus. And then he was like, I think that would suit Ringo. And so that's why, you know, we hear Ringo kind of carrying that weight, so to speak, mm -hmm. on, on this one. That's so interesting. And uh, this is another one I wrote down, really creates a sense of space, which, you know, is a very George Martin Hallmark but you can definitely feel the room. This one, I felt George Martin more than almost anyone. Yeah. Any song. Definitely. And the drums on the end, moving on, I put in the notes, it's like, this would be maybe one time where I would pull back a little bit because it just seems too easy to like be like, okay, we're going to go balls to the walls with mm -hmm. the drum solo. But it still sounds great. Speaks to Ringo. This is really the moment of Ringo and the Beatles, I think we all think about. And it really lets that kind of take center stage. I think it melded together a bit when they started with the guitar solo trade-offs. And that was one of the ones where it really felt like the stereo recording was in different parts of your ears at different times. When they traded off guitars, you really could feel the sense of when someone pulled back and somebody else started a new solo. Really cool. Really felt like a live jam. Definitely. Definitely. And course her majesty which we'll talk about that in a second with the extras but paul throughout his career has always loved a secret track and you know this is maybe the first one tacking on to the very end of the album it's interesting because it starts the vocal starts in your right ear and it moves over to your left by the time it's over it sounds very much like something we'd hear on mccartney on ram the migration I thought was interesting of the vocal. It's interesting. It doesn't need it because it's so simple, but it almost sounds like Paul is like picking around in the guitar and walking around behind you. Yeah, it does feel like that. Which I love that. I love that that feeling. I love it that they found something to do with this 
little song that only made it on because of a random sound engineer, you know, just tacking it on at the end. And they liked it that way. So they kept yeah. it that way. So they made something out of this tiny thing. I wouldn't want this album any any other way. It's great to hear it just pop at the end. Yeah, exactly. And in the demos and outtakes, you hear a few other takes of Her Majesty. And um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, extras here on Abbey Road. One thing to note, and people have been talking about how this set is smaller than we've had before, certainly smaller than Sgt. Pepper. That had a ton of shit. Mm-hmm. But there was kind of less to choose from. And according to Guy Hayden, when I heard him speak at Capitol, they really exhausted everything. Like, this is it. So you're not getting cheated out of not hearing something. These sessions were quick. This came out relatively fast after the White Album in 68. And the band sort of like just kind of hammered it out. So there's not like a bunch of like, I mean, with the exception of, I don't know, Maxwell Silver Hammer. They were also getting along. So the White Album, like George quits and Ringo quits. And, you know, there's so many different takes because they're all quitting and they're all angry and everything. In this case, they, for some reason, they really got together musically, but also personally. Exactly. A lot of these extra tracks have been around forever as bootlegs, but it's really nice to hear them get an official release here. And that's a perk of the set, for sure. They're certainly not mixed in the same way that disc one is mixed, but they're treated well, much better than you would get on any bootleg. So there's definitely a reason to listen to them. And you're also kind of listening to them in context of the time and the place of Abbey Road. You're listening to them all together. Exactly. So I wanted to highlight the first track on disc two, which is I Want You, She's So Heavy. And this is the recording session at Trident um, and is the reduction mix. The dialogue is my favorite. And that's kind of across the board. Those are always my favorite, the ones with the dialogue. And this one, you get John Lennon and George Martin talking. And um, there is a a very funny moment where they're really rocking out on this take. And um, George comes up with PA and says, we have to quiet down. Somebody came over complaining about the noise. Or actually, you know, I don't know if it's George that says that. It might be Glenn Johns, who was also at the board that night. But, uh, you know, John, instead of getting all upset about it, he says, okay, this is our last chance to be loud. And then he sort of says, well, then we'll try it quiet and see how it works. It might work better. (laughs) An interesting uh, John moment there. I love hearing the slice of life peeks into their rehearsal process, their conversation, their mood at the time. It is nice to see that John was just kind of taking it and going with it and thinking it was sort of funny. Yeah, that's so not what we think of when we think of John in this period or at all. You know, mm-hmm. it's that was very, very cool. Two that I want to highlight are the two demos that Paul does that never got an official release on a Beatles album. Uh, the mm. first is Goodbye that he wrote for Mary Hopkin, who was one of the best-selling, biggest hit of the Apple artists that they had. I think she's lovely. Paul did this demo for her of the song and it sounds like something that might have been on McCartney or Ram just like Her Majesty does. He kind of scats through the middle of it. It's very relaxed. It's really chill. It's just acoustic guitar. He's just laid back with it obviously because it's in demo. He never expected to record it himself. I mean he still even uses the the male pronouns so he might have actually just recorded this for Mary to listen to. It's such a nice sweet simple demo. The other one was Come and Get It, which he wrote for Badfinger, and they recorded it. As with all of this stuff, it's been around for a long time. So it's, Mm. you know, it's not the first time most people have heard any of it. But I just kept thinking, like, it's good for Badfinger that he never recorded this. Yes, I exactly. He would have rocked it. 
Well, my very favorite of the extras is the Ballad of Johnny Yoko Tig Seven, mm. um, because there's a really cool moment in the beginning where you hear John and Paul just sort of talking and joking. And they're sort of like, oh, you were a little off key there, George. And you got to speed it up, Ringo. And they allude to Mal Evans. But it's only the two of them. The, it's just the two of them in the studio. You have Paul on drums and John on acoustic guitar for this take. And it is just so cool to hear the two of them together. And Paul is fucking amazing on the drums. He was always a good drummer. And John, lovely vocal, lovely guitar. But it's just, imagine the two of them sitting there in the studio just, just doing this themselves. You know, it's it's a lovely visual. Oh, yeah. And if you think about all the strife that everybody was talking about with them, and especially with Yoko, and if you think on this song, the two of them got together by themselves, just like in the old days, have an amazing time. Oh, I love that. It's so, it's just wonderful to think about it when you think about this late era. Yeah. So, I appreciate that they put that on. Definitely. And like we said, throughout the album, you know, you have these little vignettes of uh, dialogue on You Never Give Me Your Money, Take 36. You have Paul singing, you never give me your coffee, which speaks to me on a religious (laughs) level because I love coffee. On Sun King, John is saying, this one will keep the Apple staff in work for the next 10 years. And George is getting silly. And I don't know if he was referring to Martin or Harrison, but one of the Georges was very silly. So funny. I loved Paul theme Pam take 27. Um, and Erica, you'll get a kick out of this. But John says to uh, Ringo, who is drumming, you know, sounds like Dave Clark, because Dave Clark was a drum <laughs> was Dave Clark five. It's so funny because the Beatles at the Ridge and beyond. I've talked to I love to talk about the Beatles, and the Dave Clark five, because they have this weird thing. And we'll do a whole episode on it. But I just I was crying laughing when I heard him say that. Too funny. So good. And the last one I'm going to mention on this, and there's plenty of other great things, but just that the long medley in the end is a chance for you to hear a rehearsal of this medley where Her Majesty was in the place that they thought it was supposed to be in. So you can hear what the medley would have been like if they had kept it there. And it sounds weird. I gotta say, I'm glad they didn't keep it there. Yeah, it's weird. It brings the tone down because it's so acoustic and kind of a small song between me and Mr. Mustard and Polythene Band. It's weird. But take a listen for yourself. See what you think. Yeah. And, you know, we don't want to spoil the extras because obviously those are like the, the juicy bits of this record and this release. Allison, any overall thoughts on the album itself? I'm so pleased with this. I'm pleased with Punch, and I just love it so much. And it feels digestible. I think with some of the previous releases, it was a lot to jump into. But this feels like you really get a great snapshot. Um, There's some real value to this set that... I know that these are the remixes I'm going to go back to when I when I feel like listening to Abbey Road. I'm going to throw this on the turntable. Yeah, for sure. I think it gives something to new listeners who get to hear it in this this very contemporary way. But it also gives a lot to longtime Beatles fans who get to hear all of this new stuff and rehear things in the music that have been there all along that you never knew about before because they just were buried. And that's the beauty of, of Giles, you know. And I, I just want to say that Giles's work on his own is masterful, but it's also really touching to think about how he had created this tribute to his father's work. I mean, George Martin shaped these songs. He created all of these sounds, but Giles used the sound technology that we have today to really show us just how creative and ingenious every moment George Martin created really was by highlighting them at the right times. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's said perfectly. 
Yeah, that's what makes these releases so special. Yeah, so pick them up. Let us know what you think. We want to talk about these more. We could talk about them forever. And I have, For a feeling, I have a feeling we'll revisit Abbey Road a couple of more times in this podcast soon. I think we will, yeah. yes, which is exciting because this, this should go on for a bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. Well, hate to end this because we could keep going, but we want to thank you guys for listening to this very special Abbey Road 50th anniversary episode of Because the Beatles. And as always, make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening right now. Um, and please give us a rating and review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. And of course, don't forget to follow us on our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. There's a lot to post, especially so that, much. that Golden Slumbers meme. we got to find that. It's, it's happening. I'm going to find that. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.